If you came today expecting to hear whatever makes you happy, you may be disappointed. I'm not sure if that came out right. <laughs> Let me explain. Originally, I had scheduled a sermon entitled, Whatever Makes You Happy, based on a theme and ideas given to me by Carrie and Kent Taylor for the sermon they had purchased in the auction. So in the wake of Kent's recent health challenges, I wanted to reschedule that for a time that they could both be here and participate, of course, so we'll be doing that sometime later. Stay tuned. I, alas, neglected to get the revised information to Jan Clark for news and notes, so the original sermon title and blurb was still listed this week. Thus, if you came expecting whatever makes you happy, you may be disappointed. There is a case to be made that I should include that disclaimer on all of my sermons, (laughs) but that's a whole other story. What I want to talk about today is talking. What we hear being said in the world around us, how we take it in, how we respond. We have learned by any reasonable measure that what we hear from national politicians all the way up to the highest office, well, in the words of the Gershwin song, it ain't necessarily so. We witness ongoing contests in the media of which person from what side has said the worst, most offensive thing about a person from the other side. We are surrounded by information and yet have more and more questions about the validity of any information that we have. What is it that guides the talk that we hear? What is communication for? In a culture that claims to value straight talk, decry political correctness, and yet is awash in talking points, fake news, alternative facts, and hashtags. In a culture that boasts the digital landscape, formerly known as the World Wide Web, meant to unite us across the earth and to transcend all boundaries, yet seeming now to relegate us to warring factions, sending forth militarized memes from behind the seemingly impermeable walls of self-justification and self-congratulation. In a culture that allows and promotes the option of insulating ourselves from the annoyance of dissenting voices and isolating us, from one another, it seems reasonable to ask, what is communication for? The question at first may seem easy enough to answer. We communicate, as the children pointed out, to convey information from one person to another. I strive to articulate what I am thinking or feeling or wanting or needing or describing what I have observed or discovered or experienced in an attempt to offer you an opportunity to understand. I listen to what you are saying in an attempt to understand your articulation of what you are thinking or feeling or wanting or needing, or your description of what you have observed or discovered or experienced. Communication is an invaluable, irreplaceable activity of human beings. 
As in the words of our chalice lighting, we strive to understand ourselves and our earthly home. That seems clear enough, right? Uh, If only it were that clear. If you really listen to what is being said, to the way we talk, one finds that most communication, possibly, while it may sometimes convey information to increase understanding, it may not have that as its primary purpose. Much of the communication is to persuade the listener, to promote a particular way of thinking, to inspire a particular response. Information may be offered, but the information is selected or sometimes more importantly, information is omitted to effectively inspire the desired response. Understanding may be increased, but it is guided in such a way as to effectively inspire the desired response. And I am not saying that there is anything necessarily wrong with this. But I am saying, along with our old friend Socrates, that there could be. This type of communication is called rhetoric. Rhetoric is defined as the art of using speech to persuade, influence, or please. Socrates, as you heard in the reading, was no big fan. No big fan of rhetoricians. I took out the dialogue part, but suffice to say that Socrates had blistering questions for the defenders of rhetoric, to many of which they could but mumble a brief consent. Rhetoric is the art of persuasion which creates belief about the just and unjust, but gives no instruction about them? Well, yeah. So the rhetorician need not know the truth about things. He has only to discover some way of persuading the ignorant that he has more knowledge than those who know. Well, yes, I guess technically. Do the rhetoricians appear to you always to aim at what is best and do they seek to improve the citizens by their speeches or are they bent upon giving them pleasure forgetting the public good in the thought of their own interest? Well, uh, let's just say there are some in each category. And it seems that Socrates' deep suspicion of rhetoric has carried over to the present day. When you hear or read the word these days, it is usually carrying the second or third definition of rhetoric that appears in many dictionaries. Language designed to have a persuasive or impressive effect on its audience but often regarded as lacking in sincerity or meaningful content. Headlines read, It's rhetoric, not fact, to say that public schools lack $1 billion from the Arizona Capital Times. Or, Don't believe the rhetoric. NAFTA has actually helped U.S. manufacturing from the Daily Signal. And the Examples go on, but both of these imply that rhetoric is, by definition, not to be trusted. The adjective that most often precedes rhetoric is empty. However, one rarely hears about full rhetoric. (laughs) 
The adjective, even when it is not stated, is implied. That is only rhetoric, meaning empty rhetoric. Now, I would like to be a purist like Socrates and Plato and these current columnists and reject rhetoric, the tawdry manipulation of words to inspire or persuade, as altogether inferior to philosophy, the free and responsible search for truth, but that would be highly hypocritical of me. The fact is that the ancient art of rhetoric directly informed the whole field of what is called homiletics, the art of writing and preaching sermons. This came via St. Augustine. Augustine was trained as a rhetorician prior to his conversion. He agreed that rhetoric could be used in deceptive ways and for ill purposes, but why not, he asked, use these same skills in the service of good? John Chrysostom, Archbishop of Constantinople, drew the distinction this way. The orator seeks personal glory, the preacher practical good. And of course, I have to agree with that statement. (laughs) But we know that's not always true either. Preachers have employed rhetoric in all sorts of harmful and unforgivable ways. And that is my point, in case you were wondering if there was a point here somewhere. My point is that much of the communication that surrounds us and in which we participate can be defined as rhetoric in that its purpose is to persuade, influence, or inspire us in a particular way. It is important, first of all, to raise that to our awareness because it allows us to assess it more accurately. And that is not necessarily a bad thing. Consider the sermons and speeches of Martin Luther King, Jr., If you want an example of how rhetoric can be used in the service of justice and truth, they were pointed toward persuading, influencing, inspiring. And wow, did they? I met with many of the participants in the Understanding Whiteness curriculum, and one of the questions that comes up for them now is how to communicate the insights and understandings that came out of this work with others. Not just the information, but how to inspire others as they are inspired to find ways to work toward racial justice and healing the deep wounds that a white supremacy culture has inflicted and continues to inflict. To communicate that, convey information, yes, promote understanding, yes, but also to influence, persuade, inspire to act. I agree with Augustine that rhetoric can be used for good or ill. The problem is not with using language to persuade. The question is persuade, influence, inspire toward what end? And what means are used? Will not the good person who speaks with a view to the best speak with a reference to some standard and not at random? Socrates asked. That is the question. Are there standards as a society 
to which we refer? Do we recognize limits as to the means of rhetorical influence? It is one thing to seek to persuade. It is another to use lies in that effort. It is one thing to tell stories that inspire compassion and empathy. It is another to fabricate tales to inspire fear and hatred and division. Do the rhetoricians appear to you always to aim at what is best? And do they seek to improve the citizens by their speeches? Socrates asked. Or are they bent upon giving pleasure, forgetting the public good in the thought of their own interest, playing with the people as with children and trying to amuse them, but never considering whether they are better or worse for this? I love preaching. I am grateful every Sunday I get to speak to you from this pulpit. And I am mindful that for everything else I believe preaching to be, it is a form of rhetoric. I am not so much seeking to influence or persuade, but I am seeking to inspire. And I know that I should heed the warning of Socrates to never sacrifice honesty to this purpose. I should remember that there is always a temptation to steer experience toward a particular conclusion. To leave out the story that does not fit nicely with my preconceived idea. To twist words to fit my point rather than to try and fail and try again to describe the raggedy and untamed brilliance of all that is. Because when it comes down to it, the sermons that you all are writing as I speak as words here or there spark a memory or reflection or question or insight from your own life, all of those sermons are what matter. In the communication that swirls around us in this culture, may we be ever mindful of its intention and to the means that are being used toward that intention. May we listen deeply and with deep discernment. May we speak truthfully, ever sensitive to our own intentions and to the weight of our words and to the realization that our words can weave us together. And with whatever else we seek to inspire, may we inspire a joy that companions us through whatever lies ahead. So may it be.